Trigger warning. This podcast may contain themes of suicide, violence, and drug use. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to Tia and Rio Attempt to Save Themselves and the World. Episode 12, Summer Breeze. Previously on Tia and Rio Attempt to Save Themselves and the World. A struggling Kiki calls Dr. Matt Chen for help after finding Tia levitating in her living room. Dr. Chen opens the cooler next to Tia, you know, the cooler that Kiki had heard knocking, waking Tia up out of her trance. Tia reveals she spoke with her mother, who informed her that the glowing green orb thingy is a key, and that Tia must find the other woman just like her, who happens to be in terrible danger. Hugh and Rio have an awkward exchange of words, with Rio telling him to stop playing games. After a very long day at work, Rio goes to her mandatory anger management class, where she meets her anger buddy, Axel. Axel and Rio hit it off while Rio stands her ground with this tough crowd, and everything seems to be going well, until Axel whacks another anger management classmate in the face, splattering blood all over a shocked Rio. Anita is heading out to go pick Rio up from the peninsula when she opens her friend door and jumps in surprise. Hugh also jumps in surprise, nearly falling backwards on the two small steps leading up to Anita's and Rio's front door. Hugh's face turns pink, clearly embarrassed at accidentally scaring both himself and Anita. Oh my god, are you alright? Anita is about to close the door behind her, then thinks better of it and leaves it open. Rio's not home. I was just on my way to pick her up. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I figured. I was actually stopping by to see you. Very carefully, Hugh backs up to move off the two small steps. Anita proceeds to close and lock up the front door, then joins Hugh by her parking space. Okay, Anita says, waiting for Hugh to continue. Hugh clears his throat. <clears throat> right. So, the other night, when I called you, I said I'd meet you down at the station, and I never showed. I'm sorry about that. I made a promise that I'd pay for Rose's bail, and that's why I'm here. To pay whatever amount I owe. He briefly pauses. Seeing as I lost my temper, and Rose wouldn't even have been in that whole mess if I had just kept my shit together. Anita takes in what Hugh's saying before replying. She's thoughtful for a moment, seeing the sincerity in Hugh's expression. I'm not interested in your money, Mr. Kirby. The bail wasn't a lot, all things considered. What I would like to understand are all the games you seem to like playing with my daughter. Hugh's already pink face turns a deep red, and this redness spreads like a plague down Hugh's entire neck. I don't mean to be playing any games. It's just, I'm a lot older than Rose. I know, Anita interrupts, her expression stern. Hugh is taken aback by Anita's response and he can feel his nerves getting the best of him now that he's being put on the spot. Look, the last thing I want is to hurt Rose. She's my best employee, and I care about her a lot. Do you invite all your employees over for dinner? Hugh has a hard time making eye contact. No, that was a first. Anita nods as she crosses her arms, expecting Hugh to elaborate, but he remains silent, staring at the ground. You know. It'd be one thing if you were just an asshole, 
It'd be easy to understand if you wanted to sleep with her and then realize with the big age difference you don't have much in common or that a date with an employee was a mistake. But... Anita unfolds her arms, her right hand jingling with keys. Here you are, trying to make amends for the other night. Which tells me, you do care about Rose. So then, why these games? Can you not see the way she looks at you? And Mr. Kirby? Hugh, I've seen the way you look at her too. Hugh finally makes eye contact. I don't mean to play games. The last thing I want is to hurt her. Anita takes a few steps toward him. She stares at him, studying his response. I'm going to ask you one thing, and then you can go. Hugh nervously anticipates her question. Are you in love with her? Hugh's expression turns hurt, his eyes now avoiding Nita's gaze altogether. Why ask a question you already know the answer to? Because Rio? Rose deserves the truth. She deserves someone who will go out of their way to protect her. Someone who won't hurt her. Someone who's not wishy-washy because they can't get their shit together. That's exactly why I'm trying to do the right thing here. I don't want to hurt her any more than I already have. Please, let me pay you back for my mistake. Hugh holds out his checkbook, but Anita shakes her head. I have to get going to pick her up. She's surrounded by the angriest bunch of men I've ever seen, and I don't want to be late. She's used to being let down by the people who are supposed to care for her the most. Hugh treads lightly as he follows Anita the few steps to her car. As she's getting in, he says, Rose told me how you took her in. Became a mother to her? I think, I mean, that's incredible. I can't think of many people who would do that. Anita's expression turns soft. For the record, I don't think you're a bad man. I hold no animosity, and I don't think you're too old for Rio. You clearly have some things you need to work out. My only hope is that you do. Because I have never seen her happier than the brief time she was with you. Anita closes her car door, then speeds off. Hugh stands there for a short while, taking in everything Anita just said. His mind flashes to a dark, foggy night before he's back in the present. Eyes watering, he fumbles slightly as he gets into his car, unable to believe he ever was or is a good man. Hours earlier, after Hugh watched Rio head off to her mandatory anger management class, he called Steve up to fill in for him the rest of the night. Hugh saw on the schedule that Darren was supposed to work the evening till close and assumed he wouldn't show up since Darren has been a no-call, no-show for the last couple months. When Steve agreed to come in for the remainder of Monday night, Hugh jotted down a note to himself that said, Fire Darren this week. He hated to fire anyone, but Darren was really giving him no choice. However, about a half hour into Steve's shift, Darren actually, finally, showed up for a scheduled shift. Steve's mouth drops open when he sees Darren walk through the store's front entrance. The man, the myth, the urban legend, Stephen cracks, watching his coworker anxiously blink at him as he goes up behind the cash register. Darren is an unusual-looking dude. 
He has a very defined widow's peak that makes his straggly dark hair seem even messier than it already appears. His eyes are beady, with dark circles underneath. At a glance, Darren looks like the picture you'd find in the dictionary next to insomniac if such a picture existed. His nose is the second largest feature on his face behind the widow's peak, and his lips are always turned down in a grimace. Fancy meeting you here! Steve chimes in again, staring at Darren with a very confused expression on his face. What do you mean? I work here. Darren replies coldly. Barely? You mean you barely work here? No one here has seen you in over a month. It hasn't been that long. Does time work differently where you've been? Steve crosses his arms, his eyebrows narrowing as he watches Darren walk back towards Hugh's office. Darren goes to open it, but it's locked. He's not here. That's why I got called in, Steve explains. Darren shrugs. Then why the fuck am I here? I thought tonight was my shift. It is, but you haven't showed up in over a month. Did you forget English wherever you've been hiding out, too? Darren paces back and forth in between an aisle of vinyls his hands going everywhere while he speaks. Steve begins to feel uneasy. I need the money, man. I'm here to work. To get paid. Yeah, that's called a job. I work here too. Maybe you've forgotten. As Darren's pacing gets closer to Steve at the front counter, Steve notices a few needle marks on Darren's arms. Things begin to add up for Steve. He's about to say something when a young woman in her mid-twenties waltzes through the door. Darren stops pacing to stare at her. She's very, very tan, with honey blonde hair and a holier-than-thou look on her face. Welcome to Hughes, Steve starts to say, but Darren cuts him off. Darren rushes over to the woman, who seems a little surprised, but plays it cool as Darren stands only a few inches away from her. How can I help you? Darren asks, finishing Steve's greeting for him. The woman smiles, her eyes deviant. I'm looking for a woman by the name of Rose Smith. Does she work here? Steve remembers the note that someone had slipped under the door for Rio only a few days before. He's about to ask her if she's the one who left it, but again, Darren beats him to it. Yeah, she goes by Rio, but she's not here. Not today, anyway. Why? Is there something I can help you with? Darren persists, his grimace awkwardly turning upright. Well, I sure hope so. My name is Abigail, but you can call me Gabby. Hi, Gabby. I'm Darren, he says sheepishly, shifting his entire body every few seconds as if he has literal ants in his pants. Abigail forces a smile. Rose, (laughs) I mean, Rio, did something to someone who's very close and important to me. I was just stopping by to ask her about it. Oh, okay, Darren replies. Steve doesn't say anything. This whole encounter feels off to him, but he can't quite figure out why. Abigail notices Darren's shiftiness and lightly places her right hand on his arm. His eyes go wide, and Steve's nervousness is increasingly getting worse by each passing moment. Say, have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our divine Savior? Darren looks puzzled. No. Would you like to? There is always room at his table. Darren slowly nods. Yeah, I could use some food. Steve winces while Abigail laughs. 
Aren't you... Abigail searches for the right word. Special. Sure, Darren says. Good. Come with me, then. You will be perfect for our mission. Excuse me, miss? He's kind of on the clock right now. Steve interjects. Wait, will I be paid if I go? I really need money. Where we're going, you'll have a lifetime of riches waiting for you. Oh, (laughs) awesome. Count me in. Darren gives Steve the middle finger as he eagerly follows Abigail out of the store. Remind me to never work Monday nights again. Steve mutters to himself, trying to shake all the negative thoughts and feelings away. Tia begs Kiki one last time to go with her to the Narcotics Anonymous meeting. I told you, T. I'm not ready. I promise. I'll get better. Just, I need time. Disappointed, Tia says a very brief goodbye as she heads out and begins walking to the address of the meeting. While it pains Tia to have to go to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting two times a week and pretend like she has a drug problem, she is hopeful it would, at the very least, help her to understand Kiki and help her kick the habit for good. Tia is trying to stay positive about, well, everything, until she arrives at the N.A. meeting place, the Church of Paul. Tia can't explain it, but the second she goes to open the church's front door, goosebumps erupt over her entire body. At the same time, back at Tia's house, an overwhelming boom from the cooler startles Kiki off the couch. She turns to face the cooler and sees a glowing green light glowing brighter from inside. To her ears and eyes, the orb wants out of the cooler. Kiki is far too nervous to even go near it, so she runs up the stairs, races to Mrs. Johnson's old bedroom, and puts on headphones to drown out the noise coming from an orb inside a cooler. Back at the church, Tia reluctantly goes inside, assuming her nerves are getting the best of her since she's not a drug addict and really does not want to be here. The Church of Paul is quaint inside, which surprises Tia. From the outside, it looks like the church would be a bit more modern, or at least have more than just ten rows of seats and one giant cross front and center. There's a sign with an arrow pointing off to the right that indicates the meetings are held in the church's basement. Letting out a deep breath, Tia descends the stairs. The fluorescent lights are harsh and uninviting, but as soon as a few people see Tia, they are all smiles welcoming her and telling her to find a seat. There are about 15 chairs set up in a circle, and Tia takes one next to a middle-aged woman. The woman nods kindly at Tia, then looks down at the phone in her lap. Tia glances around, noticing how barren the basement is, too. There is a long table set up with a white tablecloth covering it, and there are a few snacks, a plate of homemade cookies, and several different sodas to choose from, as well as paper plates, napkins, paper cups, and a large water dispenser. Tia thinks about grabbing something, but before she can get up, a voice booms saying, Hello, everyone! We have a newbie today, so let's make sure to make her feel welcomed! Tia sees a cheery woman enter from the stairwell and look over at Tia, giving her a small wave. Tia politely waves back, inside thinking, Oh God, why am I here? The woman is wearing a shirt that is just perhaps one size too small for her, her belly protruding out as if it's saying hello as well. 
She takes a seat directly across from Tia, and Tia's heart begins to pound so loudly she's afraid everyone can hear it. Looking at Tia, the woman says, My name is Nadine, and I'm here to help guide you on the path to recovery. Everyone in unison says hello back, except for Tia, who then says it after everyone else. Nadine gives Tia a big grin before kicking off the meeting. The meeting goes how you'd expect an NA meeting to go. A few people break down, expressing how drugs have left them with no one, how families no longer speak to them because they stole money from them while they were addicts, and some spoke up about relapses. Tia remains silent, trying to absorb everything and hoping she does not have to say anything. Just feels wrong for me to be here. Tia thinks, her heart sinking with every story, every person there. She truly feels sorry for these people, feels sorry for Kiki, but on a basic level, she has a hard time identifying with them. Nadine notices her silence and eventually calls her out. Before we conclude tonight, I'd like our newest member to introduce herself. Please? Nadine looks at Tia, and now everyone is staring at her, waiting to hear her story. Tia swallows hard. Hi, I'm Tia. Hi, Tia. Tia. Hello, Tia. Hello, Tia. Everyone says back. Tia's eyes dart all around, her nerves fully on edge. Well, I haven't been struggling for too long, really. It's something that just started recently, and I just want to make sure it doesn't get any worse. Tia says, hoping she can end her discussion there. Nadine nods. Was there anything that triggered the addiction? Anything more you'd like to talk about? Hell no. I shouldn't even be here. Um, it probably started after my mom passed away several weeks ago. The room grows quiet. Several members give a knowing nod. Others look down respectfully. Nadine looks pleased. The death of a loved one is a very common reason why people start using. There is no easy way to cope with grief, but I can assure you, we are all here to support you and each other. There is hope. Welcome to your new beginning, Nadine says, before everyone starts to clap. People start getting up, a few leaving right away, but most heading over to the refreshments. Tia tries to make a beeline to leave, but Nadine stops her. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Nadine says, her eyes warm, her smile genuine. The first week is always the hardest, but I promise you, it'll get a lot harder, and then it's going to get easy. Tia forces a smile. Thank you. That makes me feel better already. Tia is ready to go, but Nadine lightly grabs her shoulder and moves Tia toward the snack table. Tia, what I like to do, especially for newcomers, is assign everyone with a buddy, and this buddy is going to help you get through these rough times just like you'll be able to help them. Oh, God, no. Please, no. Meetings are already overkill. Tia thanks, but she forces that smile again. Okay. Nadine guides Tia over to a woman who looks to be about the same age as Tia. Nadine says, Tia, this is Paige. Paige, this is Tia. Nadine turns to Tia. Paige has been with us for about two months now and we've been waiting a while to get her the right buddy. I think you two will be perfect for each other. Nadine looks over the refreshments before she finishes with, I'll let you two get acquainted with each other, and I'll see you on Friday, she says before going to mingle with the remaining NA members. Paige gives Nadine a big eye roll before turning her attention to Tia. 
Tia is slightly unnerved by Paige. Everything from Paige's short, spiky hair down to her studded boots is black. Paige wears black lipstick, and Tia notices that her eyebrow is pierced. When Paige opens her mouth, Tia can see that her tongue is also pierced. Believe it or not, she's always this chipper. Paige tells Tia matter-of-factly. Paige studies Tia for a moment before continuing. You don't have a drug problem, do you? Paige asks her, causing Tia to blush heavily and cross her arms. Tia looks around to make sure no one else has heard Paige's question. Tia's shaking her head. Why do you ask that? Paige grabs a cookie and takes a bite out of it before saying, It's fairly obvious. To me, anyway. You look overly nervous, but not in a withdrawal sort of way. Paige lowers her voice. Don't worry, I'm not a narc. (laughs) Your secret's safe with me. Paige winks at Tia. Tia is unsure how to react to Paige. Paige motions for the two of them to go upstairs and talk outside. As they go to leave, there is a young blonde woman kneeling on a pew in the first row, her lips moving frantically like she has a lot to say. Tia notices her, and while she's looking at her, the woman's mouth drops open as if she recognizes Tia. Tia squints at her, unsure of who she is, and the woman quickly looks down and continues to pray. Tia turns back around one last time, wondering if she knows her from somewhere. There is something eerily familiar about her. Tia doesn't give the woman any more thought, though, once she and Paige are outside. The summer breeze provides much-needed relief to an overly stressed Tia. She turns to Paige, and Paige is clearly waiting to hear what's up. Tia puts her head in her hands before saying, I'm here because I covered for my friend when they found drugs in her bag. I don't want to be here. I hate lying. Tia tells her. Paige gives Tia a once-over. You took the blame for a friend? That's pretty badass. Tia is surprised. You mean, you're not pissed? Why would I be pissed? May actually help me to have a sober buddy this time? The last woman ended up choking on her own vomit and dying. I really don't want to go through that shit again. Tia doesn't know what to say, other than, I'm sorry, that's awful. Paige shrugs. It happens. Anyway, I'll keep my mouth shut about you if you promise that you owe me a favor. A favor? What favor? Paige shrugs again, a shit-eating grin on her face. I don't know yet, but when I do, you just can't say no. Tia is not a fan of this agreement, but she feels she has no choice. Tia's worried if she doesn't get through these meetings, then either she or Kiki will end up in jail. Reluctantly, Tia gives Paige a nod. Okay, it's a deal. Pleased with herself, Paige starts to walk away. Once she's almost half a block, she turns back to Tia and says, See you Friday, buddy. Slightly appalled but more anxious than anything to get out of here, Tia turns in the opposite direction to go home when she feels something heavy hit her hard on the back of her head, her body crumbling as her world goes black. A stunned-looking Rio with light sprinkles of blood on her face fumbles over to Anita's car. Anita rushes out of the car to help Rio get in, her instincts looking for where the blood is coming from. What happened? You're bleeding! Where's that instructor? I'm going to have words with him! 
It's not my blood, Anita. I'm okay now. Just, it's been a strange day. Anita slowly gets back into the driver's seat, her eyes not leaving Rio's face. What do you mean it's not your blood? Whose blood is it? This really awful guy who... God, I don't know. Honestly, it all happened so fast. This guy, the guy whose blood is on me, he kind of came on to me in a really inappropriate and gross way. And then I was all like, don't mess with me because you don't know even how much anger is inside of me. And then my anger buddy was like, is he bothering you? And told me that this guy got in his face last week and then we were in canoes and having a good time and then Axel splashed the not-so-great guy in the face with water and then he got all mad and threatening and next thing you know, I mean, I know, is that Axel hit him with the canoe paddle and... Yeah. Anita blinks hard. Rio, are you okay? What? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm just, you know, I really kept thinking it's... Not a great idea for angry people to be in canoes. I didn't want to be right about that, but here we are. Anita nods, putting the car in drive. Instead of turning to head promptly out of the peninsula, Anita turns left to go the long way around so that the two women could continue talking while taking in the natural beauty surrounding them. After a few minutes in silence, Anita points to her purse and she gently says, There are wipes in there if you want to clean your face. Rio finds the cleansing wipes and pulls the sun visor down for the mirror. Rio's eyes go wide when she sees the sprinkles of blood on her face. She turns to Anita. You see, the first rule of Fight Club. The two women laugh, Anita playfully smacking Rio's leg. So, how did you fare today? I mean, besides this unfortunate incident, I don't think I want you to keep going to these meetings. It's clearly not safe. Rio lets out a sigh. <sighs> I think after today, our meetings are going to be much safer. Please, Anita, don't worry about it. It's not like I can really get out of these, at least not for a little while. And whose fault is that? Rio glances over at Anita, slightly taken aback by her sudden anger. <sighs> yeah, I know. I really do know how to pick them. Anita taps the steering wheel with her fingers a few times before saying, Actually, Hugh stopped by as I was coming to get you. What do you mean? Stop by our house? Yes. Oh, Rio replies, unable to hide her surprise. He wanted to pay me the bail money for your jail time. I told him to forget it. Geez, Anita, that was nice of you. I probably would have made him pay. No. As angry as I am at all of this... Anita waves her hand around, referring to the anger management class most specifically. I think he's in a very bad place right now. Rio's eyes narrow. What do you mean? I mean, I've dated a lot of men, and it becomes easier with time to understand their motivations. But with you, you are his greatest motivation. Rio stares at Anita, beyond curious for her to elaborate. Anita finds a safe place by the lake to pull over. She turns to Rio. He's very much in love with you. But there is something holding him back. Rio, he does not think he's a good man. I don't know what his problem is, and I don't want his problem becoming your problem. But it's clear to me that you, my dear, are in love with him too. That's just because you haven't seen me with my anger buddy yet. Oh, did he win you over that quick? Anita, his face and bod were chiseled by the gods themselves. He's so fine. 
But he's also super angry. Like, out of nowhere. Actually, scary. So, you do have a type. Anita and Rio can't help but crack up. I guess so. Rio's expression and tone quickly shifts once they're done laughing. Anita, are you being serious when you say you know Q is in love with me? I'm no fortune teller, but I was once in love, and I know how it can make you feel and act. And the only reason I'm telling you this is so that you can hopefully find peace in the situation, whether it ends up working out or not. He's in pain about something. Maybe it's guilt? I really can't say. But I want you to be happy, because really, that's all that matters to me. Rio feels a little weight being lifted off of her shoulders. She's moving in for a hug with Anita, who's got her arms out and open, when Rio suddenly grabs at the back of her head. A glowing green light blinds her vision, making her cry out in pain, and giving her the greatest sense of dread she's ever felt. Just when she's about to call out for Anita to help her, the name Tia escapes her lips. Tia and Rio Attempt to Save Themselves and the World is written, created, and produced by Callie Oberlander. Tia and Paige are performed by Hugh Philpott. All other voices are performed by Callie Oberlander. All sound design, editing, and music are by Eric Brown. My continuity checkers, readers, and biggest supporters are Jules Johnson, Hilary Roback, and Hugh Philpott. And if you've made it this far, please remember that even in the darkest times, there is always hope. Hello! This is Mike, the GM of the Dresden Files RPG podcast, Green Mountain Mysteries. We're a comedic actual play podcast about a Midwestern monster hunter. So Albion's kind of a, uh, he's a monster hunting type. He can't be a warlock, that's illegal. A psychic medium. Desdemona Brown. Sometimes Jack helps me, no, that's bad. <laughs> a criminal changeling. Rosetta Common. Monsters aren't real idiots because I'm going to make this monster not real with my magic powers. And a charismatic butt doctor. Sylvester Coopersmith. Hey, quick question, buddy, if that's cool with you. What the fuck is your deal with me? Trying to save the world from magical mayhem, using the backdrop of Burlington, Vermont in all of its splendor. What appears to be Champ, the Lake Champlain sea monster. (sighs) (laughs) Catch Green Mountain Mysteries every other Wednesday on the Pocket Podcast Network. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.